Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike. This is our Willosophies compilation series and we are up to episode 10 out of 12. So we're nearly done. We appreciate all the feedback that we've been getting on the Twitter account at WillosophyPod. Follow us there uh, to see uh, when these episodes come out. The theme for today's episode is feminism. We have had a lot of really great chats with women on this podcast and Will is always keen to have a gender balance on this podcast. Uh, So today you will hear from Lucy B who is a sex worker who talks about the stigma attached to sex work in Australia. You'll also hear from Emily V Gordon She is a writer and producer from Los Angeles. But first up, you'll hear from Jane Caro, uh, her third appearance in the compilation series. It's a really great listen. Make sure to go to tofop.com if you want to listen to any of the episodes uh, that you hear today or any from the entire compilation or the entire back catalogue of Willosophy. Uh, Tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P.com. Listen to them there. Uh, Will's new show at the comedy festival will informed is on sale now go to willanderson.com if you want to grab some tickets for those but for now let's go over to jane caro enjoy and there's an awful lot of worry about you know, is this right what I'm saying? I don't actually mind if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I just want to say what I think. And if, you know, if someone turns around and say, well, you know, I think you're wrong for these reasons, good, I've learned something. But I won't learn anything if I'm just spouting somebody else's opinion because I don't hold it anyway. Okay, so the first thing that I'm interested in there is uh, not being right because mm. I think so often uh, people are afraid to be wrong and this is why we don't move forward is that people are afraid that if they speak – they will say something wrong. Or I I would even go a step further. I often feel that the reason that people get tied to opinions they don't have anymore is because in the past they had held that opinion and now they just feel like they can't move forward. Oh, absolutely. And it seems to be one of the greatest criticisms of our time, particularly for political figures. If they, for example, go on a journey on a subject, then they're, oh, but you don't really think that because in 1994 you said blah, blah. What the? I mean, I would, A, wouldn't know what I said in 1994 and also I probably said a whole lot of absolute shit in 1994 and I've moved on. Right. In 1994, <laughs> we probably agreed that the Backstreet Boys were back. Yeah. But they weren't. No, they weren't. It was just a moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think to be, you know, I really like that quote and I'm going to misquote it horribly here, Good. but it's the one that says, you know, when the evidence uh, points out that something's wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? And I think that the ability to say, oh, actually, I never thought of it that way, that makes more sense to me and, and move forward is really important and missing. Okay, so the thing that I'm interested in first and foremost is then how do you decide what you think? Because <laughs> if you're a person who is a paid to have opinions on things, then you can't just wake up in the morning – well, I to be honest, I hear a lot of talk about radio and it does sometimes feel like they wake up in the morning and just decide what their opinion's going to be. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't feel like that's where your opinions come from. I feel like there's a process and a thought behind them. So can you explain yeah. to me what some of that is? I try, to, oh, I try to think, well, what would motivate someone to feel that way or say that thing? What's going on in them that would make that 
be their point of view, even though it might be objectionable or angry or, you know, all, all sorts of things, or stupid even. What's going on in them? What are they reacting to? I'm interested in the beneath, like what's going on beneath. And so I think a lot about that. And I also, I don't want to do the knee-jerk reaction. You know, so often you get asked if you like me and you get asked for your opinions a lot. They want you to be outraged a lot. You know, they want you to have the... Right. Doctrinaire opinion. A certain opinion. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. It's the criticism that is so often levelled at, um, thank you very much. Uh, We have just been delivered tea. (laughs) Tea. Very well made tea. I've got a separate pot for (laughs) milk here as well. I mean, it's very considerate. I like this. No, no, this is good. This is perfect. I feel very good about this. this is the state of the media at the moment, isn't it? Mm. We live in this world now where, and you would see it all the time, uh, you know, a good example of it, the week we're recording this was the week that Steve Price and oh, uh, yeah. Van Batham yeah, had uh, their altercation on Q&A. And there's a part of me that thinks, but yes, but that's all that was ever going to happen when Q&A decided to get those two people on that show and sit them next to each other. In fact, that's the exact thing they wanted to happen because you've got two people and, you know, on very different sides of politics who, regardless of the conversation, are never going to change their mind on the side that they're on. To me, that's not an effective debate because that's just two people yelling at each other. That isn't two people looking at their differences and trying to find a consensus and a way forward. Now... You operate a lot in that world. Is that something that you see more and more? Uh, I see it and I always try to resist it if I possibly can. In fact, my first thought when I saw that desk of people on Monday night was, oh, poor Van sitting between George Brandis and Steve Price. I mean, yes. (laughs) Yeah, because I just went, oh, my God, no, not I'm envious. I'd be terrified. She is the Vegemite in that white bread sandwich. Correct. (laughs) And she, they're going to go her. Yeah. And Van is someone who I really think is fantastic and unbelievably brave and she has she has not got an ounce of deference in her. Like mm. she does not defer. Right. And I think that for men of a certain generation and a certain class, they don't even know they expect young women to defer to them, but they do. Uh-huh. And when they don't, they get inflamed. There's something about the refusal of the young woman to defer that gets so far up their nose so fast. And I think that's what we saw happening on that on that set. And I think you're right. They wanted some fireworks. Why? And I mean, Darren Hinch turned out to be the good guy. Now, you know you've got some really opinionated blokes there when Darren Hinch looks like a kind of moderate voice of reason. Um, and it was, it was a – I found it quite an exciting show to watch. I have to say I think that the producers – Just for the record though, Jane, uh, Darren, Darren Hinch uh, is anti-pedophile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was the only person who ran as an anti-pedophile character. So I assume all the others are pro-pedophile because they didn't say it. One guy is anti-pedophile. So that's why he got the votes. It's interesting, Darren. Darren really actually fascinates me because I've heard Darren on a range of issues where I would consider him to be a reasonably, like almost a left-wing person. Yes. But there's a couple of hot-button issues where he goes the complete opposite way. And I actually find those characters more interesting. Like a Darren Hinch where you go, okay, we've got some common ground, some things we can definitely agree on. I agree then we can work on some of the things that we don't agree on. Yeah. And that's – but whereas like a Steve Price, these days Steve Price, not the old Steve Price because anyone who remembers the old Steve Price remembers that Steve Price used to be more like a Neil Mitchell right wing, not that outrageous right wing shock jock Andrew Bolt you know, thing that he is now. Mm. He did that on purpose. There was – 
as, as Steve Price oh, way back. See, that was if you think that he did that on purpose, that is so interesting because I often wonder that. I often wonder, is this a shtick? Is this a performance? Because I've only had one experience with Steve Price and it was I was on the project and I'm always in Sydney, the project's filmed in Melbourne, and so I'm always on a looking down a blank camera. I can't see who's asking me questions, right? right? And it was in the Charlie Pickering days, and Charlie Pickering asked me something, and Peter Hellier asked me something, and Carrie Bickmore asked me something, and it was all very nice and reasonable, and I'm laughing away. And then suddenly this voice, this male, aggressive, kind of um, belligerent voice came cut across and went straight for me, and it hits you like a smack in the head because you're just not. I didn't know he was there, right? And um, I couldn't see him. Yeah. So sometimes when he's in the room, you can't either. Sorry, <laughs> that's a short joke. Sorry, Steve. I should attack your beliefs, not and your the you're way making, you look. You're making short jokes while I'm sitting opposite well, you, Anderson. Jane. That's just you're hurtful. a woman of enormous just... stature. I've never considered you to be a short person because you're a powerful presence when you enter a room. <laughs> I'm so short. I'm so short. It's not funny. Uh, so Steve Price, I have sympathy for you yep. there. I had no idea you were short, but I know how powerful a presence he is and is if that's manufactured something really awful about that Uh, i agree and and it disappoints me it breaks my heart and often the thing is because steve and i will get into it if i ever do that show Mm. as well if we're on the same panel because we just have very different beliefs but steve and i get on well off air like we have a you know we've had a long relationship and i've known him for a long time and you know like it does play out a bit like a panto but it disappoints me because when i look at somebody like that i think you know, that old, uh, if only he'd use his powers for good instead, instead of, of evil. evil. And yeah. it does feel a bit like that. It feels like it's a calculated choice in the same way as Trump feels like in often he's making a calculated choice to appeal to a certain part of the the audience there because that's a good career move. And to me, if your career is based on whipping up like, you know, a frenzy against those less fortunate than you and you don't believe it. Yeah. I'll give some credit to the ones who actually believe it. Yeah, yeah. But the ones who don't believe it, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's destructive on every level and kind of viscerally shocking. And to my philosophy, which is I try to be as truthful, truthful as, as I can, then it's, it's even sort of doubly um, more offensive to me. But I also have a problem with that particular style of, of confrontation. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it's just me or if it is a female thing. That style of confrontation, even if you're seen, as I certainly am and as Van Badham certainly is, as quite a, you know, take no prisoners kind of a woman, actually it costs us quite a lot. Right. We're not safe in that environment. That's a scary environment for us. And if you look at what's happened to Van since, I mean, she's been um, absolutely lambasted with the most foul and disgusting kind of responses well, that's, that's what you can always rely on the internet to do. Yes. Essentially, the comments on any article will prove the point of the article. The article, exactly right. <laughs> Even if you didn't think the original thing was misogynist, yeah. every email that she got afterwards <laughs> proves that it was misogynist. So. But the problem with that is, for women, it's not an intellectual exercise. Right. This is an unsafe space that we occupy where we know that there are groups of people out there who are just waiting for us to make a mistake and who will jump on you. Now, you may have decided, well, bugger that. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to say what I think anyway. I'm not going to allow myself to be silenced. But it doesn't make it comfortable. And that's why my my original feeling when I saw Van sandwiched, as you say, between the two white-bred guys was, oh, no, poor Van. Because you kind of knew where it was going to go and you knew she wasn't going to take a backward step and you knew that she was going to pay for it. 
It's it's interesting to me what you've said about the cost of it. Hannah Gadsby said something really interesting that struck a chord with me and she said it's often very easy and she was talking in relation to uh, gay rights mm. about this comment but it applies I think equally when it comes to men who want to be good allies to feminism mm. is that it's easy for a man to be a good ally for feminism or to gay people because you can step away from the battle whenever you want. Mm -hmm. You can choose your moments to be the ally, but it doesn't then go and affect the rest of your week or the rest of your life or the rest of your... If I mean, you don't live it. I've seen the small insight into it. If I retweet a Clem Ford comment or if I retweet a thing, I get a small insight into what their every day is like. Yeah. To, to be a person like as I have been who has had opinions and p- opinions that people certainly do not agree mm. with and have expressed themselves very vociferously about that, I have never in my entire time been threatened to be killed, be threatened to be raped, and yet I see these women on the internet who don't seem to be expressing opinions that are more substantial than the, the opinions that I have expressed, encountering this not as an exception but as the rule. How do you reconcile that how do you reconcile the fact that if you go on the telly or if you go on the radio and you have this opinion that is sympathetic to women in the workplace or is sympathetic to refugees or is sympathetic to one of these hot button issues that you know that a certain group of society will come after you how do you i mean there's got to be days where you're just like fuck it i just don't couldn't be bothered dealing with that this week oh yeah and then i just ignore the tweets and close down and don't get so involved in the conversation if my energy's not up i'm luckier than somebody like Van Batten or Clementine Ford or Catherine Deveni, I don't get the same level of sexualized abuse that they get. Now, my reason for that mm. is because I'm older. Older, yeah. I think that as women age, you gain a certain amount of authority in a way. You also gain a kind of invisibility, which means those particular men so don't give a shit about you. You are so irrelevant to them. Like they don't fancy you so what you say you, um, that you kind of fly under the radar a bit. They might find me irritating. The, the worst abuse I tend to get is you're um, an old, ugly, dried up hag. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I always go back and say old, correct, ugly, well, you know. Subjective. Well, I, I would subjective. <laughs> you know, some people think I am, some people think I don't, don't really care. Dried up, yes, and what a relief that is. Uh, <laughs> Yes, guilty as charged and proud of it. The other one I go back is with is, oh, so you don't find me sexually attractive. Oh, thank God for that. So, you know. But it goes to the very heart of the, the and this is when we start having these conversations mm-hmm. about like it, the way that systems are set up in a way that isn't like, you know, and it, we have broader conversations about women being represented in politics and stuff. But we talk about these, like we talk about merit systems and these sort of things, but we don't understand that these systems are not set up on a meritocracy. But it goes to the very heart of what you're saying. You mm-hmm. see these comments to to Clem or to Dev or to these mm. sort of people and they eventually become sexualized. It's always, always. about I'm going to rape you or people don't want to fuck you or you're a slut or like, you're, I mean, it yeah. goes from one to the other. Oh, yeah. But it's always around sex. Yeah. And it's, it, it shows very much that that same psyche is like as soon as they don't see you as a sexualized being, you almost, you disappear. you're out of that. And, and actually, I'm here to tell you, God, that's a relief. Right. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, I can't tell you. I cannot tell you what how liberating it is. Right. Like, you know, I spent my early years in advertising with men staring at my tits and I hated it. Now no one bothers to look at my tits. They listen to what I have to say. That's all I ever wanted right. them to do. That's all I ever wanted them to do. And I think um, 
I've now of the belief that actually getting older is liberating for women in a way that it isn't for men. This is partly physical, you know, you don't get periods anymore. There is simply no downside to that. You know, you're not a life support system for other human beings anymore. Wow, that's fantastic. And you have stopped being the sort of focus of male sexual desire, which doesn't have anything to do with you and is all about them. So you're free of that as well. It's so much better. It is one of those things, isn't it, that like – it, uh, it's it, it, on a very small level. It's like that thing of like when somebody gets a serious girlfriend and they suddenly discover there's heaps of women who are their friends. Yes. You know, <laughs> like, but there is a great relief in that. Like the great relief, you know, of being able to go, that's been taken out of any possibility of what this, like, you know, so now we can just move on to Now the... we can be human beings with one another and actually just talk to one another as one person to another person. Jane Caro there with Will from 2016. Thank you very much to her for her fantastic chat. And you can check the whole thing out at tofop.com. Over now to Emily V. Gordon. She joined Will in early 2015. Uh, So this one's dipping deep into the back catalogue of the show. She is a writer and producer uh, and podcaster from Los Angeles. Angeles, and she talks about her experience with casual sexism here. Uh, enjoy this chat with Emily V. Gordon. You know what? Like before, I'm going to introduce our guest because it's weird for me to say all this without introducing her. <laughs> this this was meant to be my big smooth comeback episode where I knew what I'd be doing after having six months off this podcast, but I can explain it with our guest. Uh, I'm going to ask the one thing uh, that I am keeping from the original podcast, which is I'm going to say to you, mm. uh, guest, okay, who are you? Oh. <laughs> I'm. Uh, my name is Emily V. Gordon, and uh, I am a person. I am a woman. I live here in Los Angeles. I am a writer. Uh, I'm a producer, and I'm a former therapist. But mainly, I'm a person. I am so <laughs> glad I kept that question. Like that's the, the one thing that because originally when I did the first six episodes, Emily, I uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. Nobody I, ever does, right? <laughs> Nobody does. Oh, but even less than that. <laughs> Like, I really did not know what I was doing. And I thought I would discover what I was doing while I was doing it. And I think that the audience really discovered it and they really responded to it. Great. Uh, But I still didn't know why I was doing it. Okay. You know, and I think to do a podcast in particular, you only do these things for, you know... And I guess why I was so jealous of this podcast is I think that Tofop, my other podcast, is such a representation of... All of me. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like the thing that if you want to know what I'm like, just listen, listen to, to that podcast mm-hmm. and you will hear everything from my serious opinions to my most ridiculous, like, you know, but all of me. Yes. Whereas like... This is small part, right. more niche. Yeah. 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 And, and it was like society was saying, we enjoyed that you more <laughs> than the actual all of you. Or I would say, I think podcasts in general are so specialized now. I just got contacted on the way here by a podcast that's just about Nine Inch Nails. Just the band Nine Inch Nails. They're getting so specific that I think people want very specific podcasts. I think that's all it is. Okay. So I've been thinking about this. And so I'll bring you into this conversation because you are actually uh, very emblemic of where I've come to about it and why I'm so glad that you're the first guest back on. You're the first uh, episode of this that I've recorded since I decided to keep going with it, right? Okay. All right. Because it was... Okay. So I did the first six episodes. I'll give you the quick... You know, the the last week on the blacklist. (laughs) A little quick recap. By the way, one of the things that people hated about the old show was me talking too much. So that's all I've done in this episode so far. Like, anyway, whatever. Fuck you. It's my podcast. Absolutely. So uh, 
I'd done five or six episodes. I'd only got one female guest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was reading all this, you know, stuff about now I've never considered myself to be I wouldn't know I would have always thought I was yeah, I've always considered myself to be a feminist in uh, the, like sure. the traditional and proud to say that because, you know, I believe that men and women should be given equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like it just makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. right? So I would have always considered myself that. But even I have been shocked at these stories and these, not just like the stories that I've read, you know, post yes or women, Mm -hmm. because the thing to me, like some people seem to think, well, it's just people complaining now. No, it's that these women who were never given a voice to complain about that. Because why would the men in charge give someone a voice, you know, saying, hang on. Yeah, so we're just kind of of making our own voice rather than waiting for someone to be like, hey, tell us what you think. We're like, no, we're just going to tell you either way. You can listen to it or not. We're just going to say it either way. And I liked how you put it that you've just been listening the last six months because I do feel like uh, that is often not happening. People are just waiting for like, well, I already have my comeback to whatever it is you're going to say. So you just go ahead and when the words stop coming out of your mouth, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And there's not a lot of listening in general. And I think, uh, I think listening and, and gaining empathy is always a good thing. So well, I like how you put it that way. Okay. Well, cause, because here's the thing that I had to think in my mind was firstly, like oh, a lot of people are saying this, Yeah. you know, it's not, like even in the olden days, I can imagine if you lived through like the first wave of feminism, you could still go, oh, it's a bunch of angry women who wrote some books and there's like five of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But this is not five. Yeah. This is hundreds of people that I follow on Twitter, people yeah. that I consider to be within my life and my world and whatever, sharing the same stories. Yeah. Very, like, very casual, very, very like uh, just very casual sexism. Yeah. Happens all the time. Right. Yeah. And, but, and so I started to think, because here's the thing, I don't think that learning about like the people that I share my world with, like it doesn't, I, I don't feel like I'm a worse person. Oh, I God, feel like no. I'm a worse person. Here's what I, I, I okay, mate, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Okay. My attitude to the world is I don't actually blame somebody for doing something bad if no one had ever told them that that thing was bad. I, right? I definitely hear what you're saying, yes. It's certainly to a certain extent. Absolutely. I'm sure there are circumstances that people could rise and I'd be like, oh, no, no, well, that's an exception. <laughs> but like yeah. in general, mm-hmm. but then if you tell somebody, hey. This is not cool. This is not cool. Yeah. And then they continue to do it once they know it's not cool. That, you know, that becomes. And then also not only continuing to do it, but having an attitude of like, well, how dare you tell me what's not okay? I've been doing it this whole time and it's been fine. Why is it not okay now? Like, right. just listen to what the, the feedback. And then you actually, you get to make your own choice of whether or not you keep doing it. But it's not, it's not super cool to know that something that you're doing is hurting other people. Right. Absolutely, yeah. And, and we have this opportunity now to know that. Yeah. But we also, I think, well, I've been trying to challenge myself and say, okay, where in your life could you... Like, where in, what do you do? What do you do? You, this guy who thinks you're fantastic and awesome and friend for all women and, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. What, what do you do that falls into <clears throat> any of these categories? Yeah. And I don't think it's many things. Yeah. But I am more careful, I've noticed, with my eye... Like, you know, if I'm just like oh, interesting. grocery okay. shopping or something and some like <laughs> beautiful woman walks by and like your my my natural instinct, something that I had never thought of, like, I'm not like leering at a woman or sure. like, you know, y- y- ever saying anything or like nothing like that. Sure. But like, you know, my head turning to look back at like, and you kind of like, you know what, maybe you could just not do that. <laughs> like, 
you know, Absolutely. like you could clock it in your head and go, yes, or, yeah. or maybe you can make sure you, if you are going to do that, yeah. that you're aware of what you're doing and you, that you make sure that you, you don't make the other, that it's all about you. <laughs> that like, you know, it doesn't become in any way about them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I'm kind of conflicted about it because I do feel like, uh, I think that beauty is something that all of us can behold. And I think there's nothing wrong with of appreciating course. someone's beauty as long as it's in a way that does not infringe upon the other person's sense of safety or whatever. But I don't, to me, there's nothing wrong with a look back, like a double take. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I don't think that I personally don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, it can make a lady feel, uh, great. It can make a lady not even notice it. She may not, but, uh, I, I like that the acting with intention, I that's what I like. The idea that if you're going to do it, you're at least like, this is what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, I like and that. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. One of the greatest moments in life, I <laughs> there are moments in my world where I believe in, you know, I guess that quantum uh, mechanics view of the world that there's an infinite number of universes yes. and that kind of, you know, every moment, you know, splits off into all those other big moments. I mean, you know, to dumb it down, the, the sliding doors, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That is what it gets dumbed down to. We need a new right. one of those movies so we have something to reference. Right. Because I feel like the kids these days don't know. They, they don't know about Sliding they Doors. Don't, they should know. Right. It's a great movie. Maybe they need a reboot. Why are they rebooting Sliding Doors? They're I rebooting maybe a... we should reboot Sliding Doors. Right. Okay. Sh- we'll cut <laughs> this bit idea. out. We'll yeah, cut this okay. part out. Yeah. So um, it, those moments feel to me like they're the moments where you see the infinite universes. Ooh, interesting. Right? Yeah. And one of those, like, you know, that moment where if you've ever, like, you know, look back and the other person looks back at the same and time you and you, like, lock eyes, but nothing ever, like, you know, then that's it. You know, you're both walking in opposite directions. <laughs> like, what do you do? You know what I mean? But, but those moments, yeah, those, those beautiful. beautiful moments of, like, that could have been yeah. everything. I tend to narrate stuff like that in my head. If, if something weird happens, like, if I forget to pull the gate all the way closed and I'm leaving, I'll hear in my head a narrator later going, Emily would later regret uh, yeah, not yeah. closing that gate. And nice. I immediately I hear like the Dateline episode where I come home and there's a guy crouched in the corner I, I <laughs> waiting to kill me. I narrate that stuff all the time, usually to my own uh, detriment and my own death or injury more so than a romantic okay. moment. But Well, that not that the perfect example <laughs> of everything we're talking right? about? I mean, that seems to be at the base of everything that's going on. Men are like, I'd love if someone told me I was hot in the street. Yes, because when someone tells you you're hot in the street there's not a chance that they're going to go down an alleyway and rape and murder you (laughs) but i also think what a lovely thing that your thought is that could be the moment versus i have every right to do this this belongs to me there's a different uh there's just a different mindset that comes through because none of us want to get rid of like you know people being able to be sexual or have their own sexual this is not the world we want to go towards not at all in fact what we want to do is go to the world where we're neutral and everything (laughs) and then when you want to be those things you can be those things absolutely you know i would agree i would agree with that i challenged myself then in a professional sense i went okay i work in an industry and you know like we're not gonna get bogged down in this i'm sure it's a topic (laughs) that like you've had to talk about a lot but i work in an industry that is predominantly dominantly men like you know entrenched and predominant like you know i can be talking about you know yes or women and like and i can be this guy you know trying to you know change my own behavior yeah but like i work in an industry if there was another industry like i'm the first person to criticize the fact that in the australian parliament they have one woman in their cabinet oh wow out of how many out of like 30 in cabinet or whatever yeah okay the minute the minister for women is a man (laughs) like (laughs) Job Australia. Right. Yeah. Well and, done. That's a, that's hardcore. Right. And I'm the first person to criticize that. But <clears> I look <throat> around my industry and what I do, and you know, 
It's often the same, right? Yeah, yeah. I was looking at my podcast. I'd done six episodes. I'd had one woman on. I'm doing a podcast about people that I think are interesting and have interesting things to say about the world. <laughs> and I've had five men on and one woman. You know what I mean? Like, so I was like, well, that's where you can change. So yeah. part of the reason that I was very excited to have you on today, because then I had to think about, well, what I, why do I want to do this podcast? Okay. And I decided that what I wanted the podcast to be, for me to want to do it, was I wanted to talk to people who were connected in, to my life in some way. Like, I'm not going to get people on this podcast that, you know, that the first time I meet them is when they come, you know, yeah, through the door for weird. the... It's always a little weird. It can, ha- it can work, but it's always a right. little weird, yeah. Because I don't want this to be an interview show. Yeah. I don't want, like, you to come on this show and people to find out shit about you that they could have just Googled before they... <laughs> Like, that's not what it should be. Okay. Yeah, right? that makes sense. So yeah. I want to talk about what you think about the world, but in connection with me, and maybe I'll talk about what I think about the world, and we can work some things out along the way. We better work some stuff out. We better solve some stuff. And this is why I thought you were the perfect guest. Like, I really did, like, for a bunch of different reasons, but I was like, I was very determined that whenever we could do this, because we've been doing, you know, trying to do this for a little while, yes, we have. I would relaunch the podcast when we could do this, because okay. I was very determined that you would be my first guest, because oh, wow. I think that... Um, you encompass all the things that I want to do with the podcast. Like, wow. so, yes. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, geez. Let's get it together. Let's get my game hat on. No, okay. So I, I, I the first pledge I made was I was going to keep the um, who are you. And okay. I loved what you did with that. Like to me, because I, I wanted to keep that because I'm just interested in what people say when someone how says. How they define themselves. Yeah. yeah. And it was interesting to hear question. how you did it and in what order you did it. You know, like. That could, that could have been the format for the podcast. I could have just taken notes and go, okay, we'll just go Let's through each of those. And I'm like, that is such a weird thing. The way that people introduce themselves to me was always very important uh, because I how you present yourself it doesn't always reflect how you feel about yourself. It re- reflects how you want to how you want to present yourself in that moment. Right. But I am. It's like I, when people are just their Twitter bios. It's always like. I, when I ask like, oh, what do, what do you do? And they're like, well, I just booked this and I booked this and I did this. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you, right. how do you, what do you, do you have yeah. anything else? Have yeah. you rescued any animals lately? Yeah. Like, what do you do with right. your time? Um, but then I find I end up answering the question the same way as a lot of them do. It's hard. Right. We, we define ourselves <clears throat> a lot, certainly, and this is not where you went first, but we define ourselves a lot, I think, by our jobs these days. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that must be... Uh, I know a lot of people who listen to this or have listened to it previously. Uh, yeah, listen because some of the people I had on have high-powered jobs, and they've been talking about you know how they became successful, mm-hmm. you know, in their jobs and stuff like that. But I always think there's people out there who just go to their job. Yeah. So w- where in your life, like, did you make a choice that you were not just going to go to a job? Because there's a point where you you decide I'm going to do something with my life that right. I'm passionate about. Yeah. That also. Mm-hmm makes you know makes me money as yeah. opposed to someone who's like well no i just go to my job i'm just gonna and it finishes at five and yeah. then i do my life and then i live my life right which is i was just having a conversation with my dad about this recently because my dad worked for the same company for like 40 years retired uh and i was like well how did you think of your career and he was like i wasn't passionate about it he's like i enjoyed the work right but like my life started once i got home i didn't i just made money and felt like a sense of satisfaction but i wasn't i wasn't looking for it to like be my my like heart song or whatever. And he was like, you kids now, you want all your jobs to be your heart song. And I was like, you're right, dad. You're absolutely right. So I, I went straight through school to become a therapist. Um, and I was very, very passionate about, uh, doing therapy and kind of for the first couple of years threw myself into just doing that. Like Uh I had a life and whatever, but I, 
my whole, everything about me was defined by being a therapist. That's all I, and if you notice, I still introduce myself as a former therapist right? because I can't, it's hard for me to think of myself any other way. I'm always going to be that person. But once, um, I got really, really burnt out after like six That's, years. I, I like that though. Like <clears throat> yeah. I like, I like the idea that you've got that in your ass. And I was like somebody who used to be like some, something cool. You can just kind of bring it out at parties now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm going away. I didn't like yeah. forget how to do this shit. Yeah, I'm just, just not doing it anymore. Party and go, Look, I don't do this professionally anymore, but I <laughs> feel like this is an emergency. Yeah. Uh, listen, all of my licenses have lapsed, right. but anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, but that's okay. You can do it off the books. Like I'm, I'm serious. Like just at Hollywood parties and stuff stuff yeah i well, mean you are going to a few more like hollywood like that would be a cool like there's so many problems in that room like having they always have tarot card readers at these parties right. i could just set up a table and be like come on in 15 minute sessions and right. then uh, or just walk by and overhear conversations <laughs> and just kind of i think you need a you kind of like a small time like you know uh, what are those table to table magic people like what are they yeah, call those? what are they called uh, i don't know i don't either small time ma- no yeah. that's not what it's they don't, called they don't think they like those that fingering term. no that's no. not it that's definitely not it <laughs> Regardless, a crowd's not going to do it at parties. Right. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's right. not going to happen. But I mean that you, you could be you know, just kind of person to person, yeah. like be yeah. known for that. Yeah. Right. Mm. Anyway, maybe not. The uh, uh, so, Ethically, I would feel weird about that. But okay. so once I stopped, once I got really, really burnt out um, and I was just really angry and not satisfied anymore, I stopped doing therapy and started working in comedy. And that's when I had kind of had this like, crisis of like oh what am i am right. who like who am i am mm. i a therapist am i a girl who got a master's degree and spent all of her money on her education that now she's not using i, I was working as like an entry level person at a comedy club is that who i am now who the fuck am i is it okay if i curse yeah great just making sure uh <laughs> my husband has a joke that there you could make a podcast out of people going can i curse on this podcast right. um yeah so if I at the end you also ask uh did i do a good job you will have got both of the, <laughs> the key catchphrases yeah. <laughs> that's really funny are we recording already anyway right. uh the so yeah i didn't know who i couldn't figure out who i was and it took it took me a good two years of like being a freelance person who was writing who was trying to produce comedy shows who didn't to kind of be like oh i'm all of these things and none of these things at the same time okay because that's i mean that's an interesting thing to me we are all yeah when you're saying what which of these things am i yeah you are all of them. i'm kind things. of all of them and i'm kind of none of them because right. none of them are the one thing that i'm doing i'm also a, i mean i'm a wife and uh like i consider that to be a big part of who right. i am i'm i i'm a big animal lover i volunteered an animal shelter that's a big part of who i am None of those things are the cool things that people are asking about, right. you know. Well, you know what you are. You're a, a master chef mystery box. <laughs> That's what you are. I mean, it's all the ingredients. And, you know, you kind of take That's which true. ones you, you need to make, you know, all these various, like, you know, today Ooh, I need to make a cake. That's good. So I go to like, you know, but you can only kind of choose from those ingredients. That's and if you don't have those that? ingredients, you have to... Either go and pick some more or go shopping. You That's know? a great food. And you have the pantry. You can go to the pantry right. and it's stocked. Yeah. But, but just with basics. Yeah, just the basics, basics that we all have. Yeah. Like you can Everybody has availability to education, <laughs> the food and water. You were able like, to drive. Right. So you got that going for you. <laughs> There's only so many things you can do. Oh, uh, that's good. I mean, this is fantastic. We're only 20 minutes into the brand new podcast and we've worked out uh, the whole meaning of life. So life is like, it's not like a box of chocolates. It's like all. a MasterChef mystery box. Yeah. There yeah, you go, you guys. got your ingredients and you, got to, and you may make something completely different than the person next right. to you, even given the same ingredients. Yeah. How because interesting also, is that? we also have all different tastes. Yeah. And we should remember that. We should you remember that. You know what? Some people like it medium rare. Some people like it a bit more cooked. Some Absolutely. people, you know, like a bit more salt. So 
seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, spices. Some people are like, why are you putting tarragon in everything? Right. I don't know. I can't help it. Some people are like, I don't know what an amuse-bouche is. <laughs> I don't know. Don't confuse me. I only know now because from watching these shows. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you said then, and we've gone all over the place again, I was going to tell you this uh, before, which was I had two aims with the uh, like when I returned with the podcast. Okay. I would keep the original question, which got us onto that conversation. We worked that out. And the other thing was I would ask people what their philosophy was right at the start of the podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I haven't quite nailed that one. And that's why I just was, I was like, I've got to come back to this, and then we can talk about everything else. Uh, I asked you if you had a philosophy. Do yes. you have a philosophy? You don't have to have one, by the way, but I, I just I, am interested. I definitely do. I have a life philosophy kind of for myself. And I also have, um, as when I was a therapist, I had a, a, a very strong philosophy that was very easily summed up that uh, kind of bleeds over into my personal life. Mm-hmm. So I guess I have kind of two, but they're, okay, they're similar. I like it. Okay. Do you want, which one do you want to hear first? Oh, you, you choose. Okay. I think the first one, well, I'll tell you the, the, the one I had for therapy I found in a magnet uh, on my one of my best friend's uh, refrigerator. It's just like a random magnet she had that said, um, comfort the disturbed, disturb the comfortable. And I was like, Ooh. Jesus Christ, oh. that is exactly, yes. that is everything to me. Right. She's not a therapist. She's like this punk rock, like pierce, piercer in Atlanta. Yeah. But that, it spoke to me so much that I was like, oh, that's exactly what my job is. Right. Like, my only job is to take the people who are too mentally ill to like really, really like live a full, complete life and make them as comfortable as possible so they can live as comfortably as possible. And then if you're very... You're talking about running comedy gigs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Essentially. Uh, and then for all the, you know, very, very entitled teenagers that I work with, very entitled uh, dads or moms that I work with, my job was to make them uncomfortable to get mm-hmm. them to move in a, in a better direction for themselves. Um, so I really, that became like my all-encompassing thing. Um, and then if you mix those two things up, like I had a couple of occasions where I would confront a very, uh, a person who is in the middle of a psychotic break and ask them to not curse at me. Mm-hmm. That was a mistake. They yeah. did not need to be disturbed. They needed to be yeah. comforted, right. uh, or at least backed away from, um, and that got me in trouble a couple of times. Uh, whereas it's not my job to take a child who's like whining because his mom won't let him smoke pot in the house. Right. It's not my job to comfort that kid. It's my job to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No, right. you cannot. Some people can smoke pot, uh, like recreationally. You're not one of them. No. You flunked out of everything. Um, so that kind of helped me keep my work life straight. And then it kind of just bleeds over into my personal life, even though it's not really my job to disturb the comfortable people in my life. But it's, it is definitely my job. If I see someone who's disturbed in any capacity, it's not my job to push them. It's not my job to kind of, um, do anything other than provide them with comfort because they're going through some shit. And well, Mm. and I think that, you know, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to work and stuff like that. But I do think that, you know, if you are creating a mission statement for what you guys have built, you know, with Meltdown and oh, stuff like yeah. that, you know, I mean, that is that you're, you, they, I think in the tech industry, they call it like disruptors, you know, Disrupt, something comes yeah. along and it's a disruptor. I mean, that's what that show has been, you know, kind of almost in the scene here and in this town in some ways. We'll talk about that. And you what kind a lovely of, thing you, to say. But, but, you know, I mean, so again, that's what you're doing. And comedy, when it's done well, is that exact philosophy. Absolutely. It's, I would agree when, with that. You know, uh, we have a lot of debates in our community. And again, it comes to this, you know, these things that I've been thinking about, you know, about our community and about, you know, there's a lot, I did some gigs in Cleveland with two guys that I thought were fantastic comedians and they both had rape jokes in their set. 
And so I was coming on on a night of comedy, you know, after two guys who did. And look, neither of the jokes were, I mean, they were both fine jokes. Yeah. And they were both, you know what, they weren't like terrible, but they were still both rape jokes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And neither of them was making enough of a point. That's, or, you yeah, know, like, or, like, or was funny enough. Yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, that's as funny as any of the other jokes in your set. <laughs> so I feel like a rape joke should have a higher standard. <laughs> You know what I mean? The like, highest of all the Right. Standards. I feel like we should, you should be really raising the bar. Oh, raising it so high. It's right. got to be the funniest fucking thing yeah. I've ever you heard about. You should be rape. like one of those pole vaulters yeah. at the Olympics <laughs> who doesn't come in until like the world record. You know, they're so cocky that they're like, that's the jump you should be going yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, gonna... don't bother. Right. Because otherwise, it's hack. Yeah. More than being offensive, I'm offended by how hack that is. Right. How it's like you think you're making, you're being so cool and being so edgy. That's not necessarily edgy. But it comes back to, and this is the thing that I I have always said to people, but have never had summed up as perfectly as that magnet. (laughs) I mean, this magnet is not like a... I own it now. I I got it from her. I feel like you can start a religion around that (laughs) magnet, you know, and it would probably work out a lot better. And you've already got the merchandise. Everyone just gets a magnet. You don't even have to wear it to work. There won't be any debates in your office place about religious. It's just a magnet. Just a magnet. To you keep just it at stick home? it on something. Yeah, well, any metallic surface. Any metallic surface will do. We don't right. care. <laughs> so, um, uh, so what was uh, the uh, the thing I was saying is comedy. If you really summed up what we should be doing, you know, the traditions of comedy coming from the yeah the king's court jester, the only person who was allowed to make fun of the king. Yeah. And the the deal was he was allowed to make fun of the king as long as he was funny. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So co- comedy's job is to comfort the disturbed. This is, you know, you have, like, people listen to podcasts, people who are at their, you know, desk job now, you know, coding for eight hours or whatever, and this yeah. is what they use it for. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you say comforting the disturbed, you're getting people, you know, in a community and saying, hey, yeah, we're all struggling with people these things. People who felt alone all... before and making them realize that they're not alone, that they're part of a group. That, right. that to me, is one of the most magical things you can do. And yeah. then the second part of it, which is, <laughs> Dis- disturbing the the comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. That's what comedy should be doing. Yeah. We should be kicking up. Yeah. Like there are plenty of targets to have a go at. Oh, absolutely. Kick up. Yeah. <laughs> you just kick up. Yeah. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Oh, I'd never even thought and about this. It's you know what? To comedy. When it comes to comedy, if you're going to do a rape joke, you should be doing a rape joke that comforts the disturbed. Yeah. If that is possible. You know, one that... I'm sure it is. You know, yeah. like... There is a couple of examples I'm sure that people could point to and go, yeah, yeah, well, that's making There's the There's a po- yeah. comedian named Ever Maynard who has a, a, a rape joke that I encourage everyone to Google. It's, to me, a perfect rape joke. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, but th- that fails the test of, you know, what in that joke is disturbing the, comfort- the comfortable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not call. It's a call to action to do something about this. It's not a, like, you know. Anyway, it's interesting. It's <laughs> yeah. a, that's a very good philosophy. I, I like that. I really like it a lot. I like that very much. So um, how does that uh, apply more broadly in your life, do you think? Apart from, like, I mean, when, you know, talk to me about uh, mm. your life outside work. We'll get to work because, you know, but sure. I, I want to know about some other things. Talk to me about what your life is like when you're not working. Um, my life is, uh, I well, I, I will say, okay, so my other... <laughs> The that one the comfort the disturbed disturb the comfortable is is definitely more of uh, like a, a kind of how I think about mental health and how I think about other uh-huh. people's emotional health. The one that I use for my own day to day life, my second one is um, act with intention. 
That is it. Act with intention. It's one I've recently kind of figured out is it. And the point of it is, it's okay if you're doing the wrong thing. It's okay if you're fucking up. It's okay. Just know yourself enough to know what you're doing, even if you know you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, Because I feel like I, for a long time, was very kind of... Flighty is not the right term, but very. I was a very emotionally overwhelmed human being. Like I would, uh, I didn't. I things would just happen to me, and I was like, well, "What is that happening? It's everything's like a hurricane." And I was uh-huh. like, "Oh no, I'm the hurricane. Right. It's me. It's not the rest of the world." And it's okay to be a hurricane, but you need to like let's not act like the world is constantly doing weird shit to you. Right. You're the one doing the weird shit. Uh, and just becoming more aware of myself, both physically and emotionally, mentally. Like, oh, if I'm I'm lashing out at my boyfriend, it's not actually about him. It's about this thing that made me mad like an hour ago. He doesn't really deserve that. So, like, figure out where your anger is coming from and where to push it. So that just if you're acting, you know what's behind your actions. You know what's going on in your head and in your heart when you're doing something, even if it's the wrong thing. That doesn't mean you do the right thing all the time. In fact, it kind of makes it cooler to do the wrong thing sometimes. (laughs) But uh, that and now, especially now in my new career and kind of in my life as a as a grown up person, I think acting with intention is is the thing that encompasses everything for me. That's like my string theory. That's my unifying everything theory. Thank you to Emily there for that chat with Will. Remember, you can go to tofop.com to hear the full chat. There's an in, there's the massive uh, back catalog of chats with Will all waiting there, ready to be devoured by your ears. So enjoy those when you get the chance finally let's head over to lucy b lucy is a sex worker who talks a lot here about her experience with stigma uh in sex work and uh her experience with dealing with that enjoy this chat with will and lucy b I did this on purpose. No mm. one's making me do this. Mm. It's not against my will, although that would be a good show topic. <laughs> uh, but my, my point is that, so where did that come from for you? The idea of going, I chose this. I'm going to own my choices. Do you know what? I think it was very much because like everything you've just said is a constant in my life. Um, I'm having to justify being a sex worker every single day of my life. Um, it's It's a battle. It's a fight. It doesn't always have to be. And I'm getting better at picking the battles that I enter into. Um, I'm never going to please or convince everybody, but, um, I guess starting to have to do that about something that I was so passionate about, um, it made me realize that, you know, and, and being in the public eye more meant that people were going to come out and say things about, you know, um, my past and, and, you know, oh, she was a really weird kid and, you know. Um, By the way, everyone was a really weird kid. Exactly, that's the Except thing. Except for the people who are really boring now. The really normal yeah. kids are like, the people who are really boring and have given up on life now, right? Yeah, and do you know what? It's it's like every time I do something publicly, um, someone who I went to school with will come out and be like, I knew her, leak my, 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 my full legal name and um, – you know, try and sort of, I guess, bring me down by the very nature of this past I had where I was this dork and no one wanted anything to do with me and, and I was odd and, you know. And I guess, you know, when I started in the industry as well, I went a bit wild. Like, you know, it was like, party and like, yeah, I'm a porn star and no one believes I'm a porn star. But then I turn around and tell them and I'm like, ah, fuck you. Um, and it's this really great thing. Um, and I really, you know, um, I partied a lot when I started. Um, and I, I think I neglected my friends and my family a bit because I got really caught up in being sort of popular, but then I realized that 
none of that was for the right reasons and people weren't spending time with me because they wanted to get to know me. It was just because I did something that was kind of raunchy and they thought they could get in my pants, um, which was totally fine. Maybe they could have, but they didn't freaking ask me. Um, they right. just thought that um, by the very issue. nature, free drinks, you know, that'll do it every time. I'm like, right. no, fuck off. Yeah. Um, well, you're going to have to get me $350 worth of free drinks. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was just like I used to, you know, I looked back on everything I'd done and, and when I started this sort of very public fight, I guess, to to have to justify my life, um, I realised that I had to come to, to peace with a lot of the choices I'd made in the past. Um, okay, so that's interesting to me because I think the – well, I mean, I, I assume we'll talk about sex work a bit, but it, for me – when it comes to sex work, I've never really understood. I mean, I'm literally a person who also hires out myself for by the hour, you know, to a large group of people in the same room, but they're all paying money for me to entertain them. And some nights I will feel like entertaining them and I'll be loving it. And I can't, I'll be like, I can't believe I'm even getting paid for this. But a lot of nights I'm out there doing my job and it is my job is to make everybody feel like this is the best night of their life. So that mindset like has always been something that I'm like, well, I get that. And you see, it's particularly in LA, you know, around the comedy scene, there are so many people who work in the sex industry or have crossed over, you know, between the two, uh, that it becomes very familiar. But to a lot of people, sex work is one of those things that has been around forever. Like, I mean, I'm from a country town of 1,200 people and I remember, like, you know, that was a big town near us, but I remember, you know, hearing young enough that there was a sex worker who worked in our town and there was a sex worker, of course, who worked in every town and has worked in every town forever. But Mm. it has been something that has always been whispered, even up until this point in this world that we live in. You know, the amount of, like, prominent people who talk about being sex workers while still being sex workers. Like, you know, Mm. what you often sometimes used to hear was people who were out of the industry then talking about, you know, their time in it. But the idea of somebody being in the industry and also being a communicator about the industry, I mean, firstly, that comes with, like, massive responsibilities because you are going to be the target of all these things because suddenly Mm. you put your head up and you're speaking on this issue. Um, What made you think, I'm going to say this out loud, I'm going to tell people? I think there was never really a choice for me, if that makes sense. So the way I was raised, I was raised in a household of um, really strong women. Uh-huh. Um, so I was raised by my mother, my grandmother and my great-grandmother. They all had an input in, in raising me and I lived close to all of them or with them. Um, for my whole uh, life. I mean, this already sounds like a HBO series. Right, I know. If there is anyone out there looking yeah. for this, I mean, this is, this uh, and is my, the new, new Gilmore Girls. Oh, God. And my great-grandmother was an absolute hoot. Like, she loved Die Hard. She loved really? action movies where if a bad guy got decapitated, laughed her head off. Um, and you'd sit there thinking, this is a little bit inappropriate. Like, Grandma, maybe No, just... I love it. And she just... I love like, if my great-grandma's yeah. last words were yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. But you know what? So would I. <laughs> and and when, when, I mean, when my, my great-grandmother eventually did pass, she, she did it on her own terms as well. She she'd, um, had to move out of uh, the home she was with with my grandmother and she was just ready to go. So she did. Um, and how, how do you think that being raised in a house mm. of all women like that and generations of different women, mm. like how did that impact you? Like what, 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 why do you, what, how do you think you are different because of that? Um, I think every woman in my family has had to struggle in some way with something. Um, you know, I had my first job at the age of 14 at, um, not in the adult industry, 
um, at McDonald's. Well, clearly you weren't an adult. Yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, the, the the funny thing is every so often I'll, I'll be having a conversation with someone and I'll be like, I started working at 14 and I'll be talking about having a normal job, but they'll look at me scandalized thinking right. that I was like trafficked. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that common story that you've heard of the industry is not the story that everybody shares. Calm down. Uh, that does happen. We don't deny it. We do need to talk about it, but that's not me. Um, but I had my first job at 14 and it was partially because, um, you know, my my family instilled in me a work ethic. You know, this was something that you did. You went out and, and, and um, you know, uh, got skills and, and, and worked and stuff like that. But also my mum was quite ill um, when I was younger. Um, she uh, got meningitis twice. Okay. Because she just doesn't do things by half. My mum, she's great. Um, So it meant that I had to pick up a lot of responsibility really early on. Um, And, you know, helping sort of with my great-grandmother and helping with my mum and and seeing what my mum went through. And my mum and I were best friends. And then she got ill and that impacted her. She she ended up with a a brain injury. Um, And a low-level one. So if you met her, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know. Right. Um, but then, you know, I know, I knew um, things changed between us. And um, it was something that we sort of had to, you know, deal with together. Um, and it was heartbreaking for her because right. she's a really smart, sharp as attack woman. But she gets tired very easily and it was really rough. So I think for people too, I mean, that's like physically I've been in pain mm-hmm. for years. I have bad hips and, you know, so the idea that my body is breaking down is something that I've been used to for a very long mm-hmm. time. But even now when I can't remember where I put something or, you know, I can't remember the name of someone who I, I should remember the name of that person. And look, partly that is, you know, I hope, because I am bringing so much information into my brain still that it is pushing out some mm. things that just my brain didn't think needed to be there. Mm. And I am a person who is constantly consuming information, particularly when I'm putting a show together. But but that idea that my brain will fail me is, is much more scary to me than yeah. the idea that my body will fail yeah, me. Yeah, and I think... Um you know, my my mum has had a lot of struggles in her life. She's she's had to she raised me, you know, on her own in my early life until we moved to where my my grandparents were. Um, and you know, I saw her really work and really fight, and and she instilled in me a um, a love of education and stuff. I, I we we were in Armadale um, when I was quite young. And I practically grew up on the campus at, at UNE because my mum was doing a degree there. Um, so I was in there reading and, and learning all the time. And um, then, you know, learning from their stories, I think, you know, I mean, they were all feminists. That's the other thing. They took life by the reins and they didn't sit there and just be satisfied with what it had dealt them. They said, right, this is a bit shit but I'm not going to sit down and cry and, and, you know, let it get to me. I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this pain and I'm going to use it because my family needs me because I, I deserve more. I deserve better than this. Um, it's why my mum walked away from my dad and I couldn't be prouder and, and more grateful that she did that when I was so young, even though it must have been terrifying. Um, and I think, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm not, I'm not by any means a religious person. I was raised in a religious household. But I feel blessed in that I don't think a lot of people get to know their great-grandparents. They don't get to hear those stories 
and they don't get to learn so much about their past as I did either. And there was this thread of women who sort of kicked butt. I mean, you know, women, you know, my, my, my um, you know, uh, great-grandmother's mother and, and, and women in their family just, you know, having to pop out kids, like right. one after the other after the other. And I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus, how is that physically possible? But, um, you know, making things work. And I think that's, you know, life hasn't always been easy for me, but I've made it work. Right. Um, and that's definitely something that I've picked up from them. Like in, like in Australia... We're never going to get the sex ed- – like, at least I don't think in my lifetime we're going to get the sex education program we need because we are still dealing with people – like, religion is a huge problem. <laughs> like, faith isn't a problem, but I think religion is a massive problem because I think that definitely dictates how a lot of people live their lives and, unfortunately, a lot of those people are politicians and, and, and supposed change makers in our society – and I think that's a problem. And as much as there's voices like mine and my colleagues standing up and saying, hey, look, you know, we need to change here. It's really bloody hard when people in positions of power um, don't want to talk about this. I want to shut the conversation down. You know, I mean, people seem to think that some of the, you know, scariest things I've done have been relating to my work. But no, the scariest thing I've ever done was sat next to Melinda Tankard Rice on an ABC television program because right. I thought she might shank me. Yep. Um, and she's also a truly horrible human being. Yeah. Look, I, I've <laughs> I've uh, had dealings with her in the past and they've always been reasonably respectful even though mm. um, I we have very mm. uh, diametrically mm. opposed views. Um, although I have some sympathy sometimes mm. towards like some of the points she's making, yeah. particularly about sexualization in advertising oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. some of those messages. I actually do you know, mm. occasionally think she makes some good points, but I feel like what happens with people mm. like that is they become mm-hmm. so one note in their mm-hmm. approach because they become so passionate about the thing they're advocating for mm. that then everything becomes problematic. And it feels exactly. like that's where they've gone with collective shout. And all you those know, sort of things. I think what I find frustrating is people always seem to say we want to, they always like organizations like collective shout and stuff like that. are Like we want to advocate for this group and we want to help this group mm. and somebody think of the children and somebody think of the poor whores and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, so we're telling you what we need. Right. You know, young people are explaining what they need, but you're not listening. Right. Right. And and don't come here and tell me that you want to help people and then proceed not to help them because that's garbage. That's bullshit. Like we need to decriminalize sex work. That's what we need. We're telling you this. This is going to help in this many ways. Don't railroad the conversation and try and tell me what I need. You don't get to dictate that to me. Go so away. Th- this is a question I've been asked a couple of times, uh, and I think even on the Sovereign mm. Sire podcast, and it was one that I realized I – I wasn't actually equipped mm. to answer. So what is, what is the legality of like sex work in Australia? How does that actually it work? It differs state by state. Right, because there are some places where it's Okay, New te- South well, Wales is through. the New South Wales is the only place where it's decriminalized. Okay, so right. that means that all sex work is decriminalized. It's decriminalized. It means that you know, um, I can, I, if something was to happen to me on the job, I could go to the police right. and say, you know, this has happened to me, and they, their first thought won't be like, okay, shit, what are we going to do with you? You know, whereas you've got a legalized system in in uh, Victoria, uh-huh. whereby, so in in New South Wales, I can work from home, right? right. I can have an in call mm-hmm. where someone can come and visit me. And, and I have I, I can work on my own terms. In Victoria, you can only do out calls, which means your only option is to either work illegally 
or go to someone's house or go to someone's hotel, which is already, uh, in my mind, a safety concern. I mean, going to, uh, I mean, a stranger's house or mm-hmm. even a hotel, you mm-hmm. know, like is, that seems, why is why is that? That seems like such a weird thing. Yeah, I don't like, understand how okay that's It's okay if you helpful. go there, but it's not okay if you do it at your own house. Yeah. That See, just I, seems the like logic, a, The logic uh, yeah. is not strong with that, these ones. No, um, but no. also you have to have, an, uh, you have to have a, a registration number. You have to register, which I imagine would stop a lot of people from doing that. Well, part of the the luxury of sex work for a lot of people is there's a sense of anonymity, and that takes away from that sense of anonymity. Um, Also, you know, to work in brothels, you have to have a medical certificate, which a lot of people is like, that's really great, but you know what? We look up, we do look after our health. You know, we don't need to be shepherded to do that. Our health and our body is our money. So if we got sick we probably wouldn't earn any money. So, uh, but the problem with that is you have to have that certificate. Like um, sometimes you can't get that, you know, under your, under your working name. And sometimes like there's all sorts of issues with that. So again, it's just another attack on people's privacy, which is just all totally fine because we're whores, you know, like we don't matter. Um, But also in Victoria, if you got attacked on the job, Uh and you don't have an SWA number. In historically, there's been a, more cases than I care to admit where they've tried. They've, they've been like, "Well, we have to arrest you, or we have to charge you because of what you've done." The fact that you've just been raped. Well, you know, and and you you're noticing like here in the ACT, for instance. So like, what's the what's the legality of it in the ACT? Um. So. I can I can work here, but if I say I shared a um, an apartment with another worker, um, technically I'd be operating an illegal brothel, even if that worker was just there for my safety or security. Right. So you know, uh, but even even then, I could have just a friend there who's not a sex worker, and potentially they'd be like, "Well, are you sure?" And I'd be like, "Look, I'm pretty sure because they have a day job yeah. that is not set." Seriously, anyway. look at Gary's hands. Uh, yeah, right. He's not this touching anyone's the, cock with those rough thing, hands. Right. This is <laughs> thing it's just it's it's and and it's also um there's like all over there's different you know legalities uh, where's the worst place in australia where's the like the most restrictive <sighs> for sex workers is there for me it's i think it would be south australia, south australia because there's you know you could go there as a private worker and you can you can function but there's risk and they're doing a lot of raids currently. That's been in the media a lot. They're doing raids of, of brothels and stuff like that and, and women. For what reason? Why are they doing that? Because it feels to me like, I mean, all the regular mm. crimes, mm. no problem with that. I mean, I understand. If, mm. Like, if, you know, underworld figures, uh, like, you know, uh, you've got a whole bunch of bikies running illegal guns out of the back of the three brothels mm. they own or whatever, then mm. persecute that stuff in the way that you've got to persecute yeah. any other yeah. similar crime. But... Are these raids just on sex workers doing sex work? Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're basically trying to say after after ignoring, like leaving them alone for so long, now they're trying to, you know, now they're like, we're trying to uphold the law. And I'm like, but you haven't upheld the law for so long. And it's, there's, there's no, you know, I find it really frustrating because I don't know precisely why, you know, I think sometimes... To be honest, it's just so they look like they're doing something. Uh-huh. Um, but well, it clearly is though, mm. because a 
Firstly, mm. unless, you know, mm. hey, again, like you said before, mm. nobody wants like, you know, uh, everyone wants to stop you know, sex exactly. trafficking, things like that. If, exactly. if you have some tip that like there's mm. some place that has, you know, a whole bunch of people who mm. came here on visas to be, you mm. know, to work at a shop and mm. are now like forced into sex work exactly. and whatever, go in, help those people, exactly. bust that shit wide open. But like, firstly, the one thing that we all know is that like mm. sex work is happening. I mean, mm. this is the thing. Like in America, most of the places you go, mm. in fact, I think most of America, it's pretty illegal most of yeah. the places, right? Like Nevada, like but Las Vegas. But has guess like where the it's ranches. happening? Everywhere. Yeah, exactly. It's happening everywhere, you know, and everyone knows it's happening everywhere. All you're doing is making these people who are, you know, fulfilling a service that clearly exactly. is in you know, demand, mm. then you're just making them be less safe be more fearful for their lives to be in these situations. I don't, and, and this is the problem. You've got organisations like Collective Shout and stuff like that who are big proponents, uh, proponents of the Swedish model. They believe we should bring the Swedish model into Australia everywhere all that, the time. That men should only come on people's breasts, right? Yeah, That's right. No, I wish. Um, but this is I the thing. I don't know. If, is that Swedish? I don't know. No. I'm, I'm never good on what the, the terms are. Like, we'll, we'll cover that later. <laughs> Thank you so much to Lucy for that chat there with Will and thank you so much for listening today. Like we said at the top, this is episode 10 of 12 of the Willosophies compilation series. Thanks to all the guests who appeared in this episode, Jane Caro, Emily V. Gordon and Lucy B. Thanks to Will for putting these all together. Mike Howell in America who cuts them all together. James Fosdyke who puts the artwork together. Uh, And thank you very much for listening. Remember, tofop.com for anything you may have missed or want to catch up on. Uh, The socials are WilosophyPod, that's P-O-D. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us there. Uh, Great, we'll chat to you later in the week. Bye.